Millions of Americans turned to prayer as the COVID-19 pandemic erupted in March of 2020. More than half of the population claimed they prayed more than usual in those early weeks as the crisis grew. Google reported that the number of searches on the subject of prayer increased by 50% in March 2020 over February 2020. Searches for coronavirus prayer were a global phenomenon even in some of the most secular countries of Northern Europe. In America, prayer is the most common religious habit of our culture. Two-thirds of Americans report that they pray at least once a week, and of those who pray at least once a week, 67% say they pray every day. Only one in seven Americans, 15%, say they never pray. Prayer is ubiquitous in our world today. On May 5th every year, presidents proclaim a national day of prayer. President Harry Truman, in 1952, enacted the National Day of Prayer, and every president since Truman solemnly advocated for prayer. Presidents regularly speak at our national prayer breakfast each year, but the emphasis on prayer goes back to our founding fathers. George Washington announced a national day of fasting, humiliation, and prayer, humbly to supplicate the mercy of Almighty God. President Reagan observed, through the storms of revolution, civil war, and the great world wars, as well as during times of disillusionment and disarray, the nation has turned to God in prayer for deliverance. Prayer is in. But what is prayer? Jesus, too, lived in a culture of prayer. Prayer was popular in his day. But when Jesus began to teach his disciples to pray, he attacked the prayer culture in which he lived. He attacked it. Jesus said that all these prayers were meaningless because they were religious rituals designed to manipulate God or to make us feel better. President Joe Biden, in his proclamation about the day of prayer in 2021, said these words, On this national day of prayer, we can exercise our convictions freely, no matter our faith or beliefs. Let us find in our prayers, however they are delivered, the determination to overcome adversity, rise above our differences, and come together as one nation to meet this moment in history. That proclamation treats prayer as a religious ritual and a tool to use for political unity. Religious prayer rituals, like the day of prayer, are nothing more than symbolism, despite the good intentions. They are about us more than they are about God, and they celebrate our spirituality rather than surrender to God's authority. The prayer we are studying in Matthew 6 is often called the Lord's Prayer. And it is often repeated ritualistically in our religious ceremonies today. The Lord's Prayer 
is really the disciples' prayer. It is Christ's model for his followers, but we have treated it as a ritual prayer. It has become a prayer that many people can recite from memory. But Jesus did not intend the prayer to be used as a ritual. Jesus intended the prayer to express a close, intimate family relationship with God, unlike the prayers of his religious culture, which were steeped in religious ritual language. The Jewish prayers, like the Tefillah, were recited in the Hebrew language. The Lord's Prayer, translated into Greek by Matthew, was spoken originally in Aramaic. Aramaic was the common language of everyday people. Jesus did not pray in Hebrew, which was the holy religious language. Jesus did not pray in classical Greek, which was the language of the educated and elite. Jesus prayed in Aramaic, which was the language of the ordinary people, the language they spoke at home. Jeremias, a German scholar, argues that all of Jesus' prayers were spoken originally in Aramaic, so this one would have been as well. Jesus would have used a family term for father, which does not come out in Matthew's Greek translation. It was the term Abba. Abba and Imma meant daddy and mommy to the children of that time. Jesus taught his disciples to talk to God in the family language of his day. The lesson we should learn as we look at the Lord's Prayer is that prayer is the normal language of family life, not the language of religious ritual. Jesus teaches an entirely new way to pray as a model for the disciples. We are to talk to God the way a child talks to his daddy, to his Abba. That is why Jesus prefaces the model prayer with verses 7 and 8. Don't use meaningless jargon or special religious rituals to move God. Don't recite the Lord's Prayer ritualistically. The first lesson we learn in Matthew 6, verse 7, is that we should talk to God naturally, not superstitiously. We should talk to God naturally, not superstitiously. Listen to Jesus' instruction about prayer in verse 7. And when you are praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So, why would we repeatedly recite the Lord's Prayer like a religious ritual in our churches? Real prayer is not ritual prayer. Spiritual prayers are not wordy prayers. When Jesus refers to the Gentiles, he could be contrasting actual Gentile prayers with Jewish prayers, but the word translated Gentiles often carried the connotation of pagan, and I think that is the sense here. Jesus attacks not only Gentiles, but Jewish scribes who were fond of long, wordy prayers as a pretense of their spirituality. 
Jesus said in Mark 12:40, "Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and for appearances sake offer long prayers. These will receive greater condemnation." So my friends, anyone who prays long wordy prayers is praying in a pagan way no matter what your spiritual intentions. To pray like the pagans, like the Gentiles, is to pray superstitiously, and we pray superstitiously in three ways according to this verse. 1. We pray superstitiously when we try to move God with many words. We pray superstitiously when we try to move God with many words. The pagans think, They will be heard by God because of their many words. The word translated heard in this verse means to listen to and even can mean to obey. We pray like pagans when we think God will obey us if we use enough words. Sometimes I think the prevailing opinion in religion seems to be that God will give us what we want if we bore him to death. Or, perhaps, like the child with his parents, we think that we'll get what we want if we drive God crazy with our whining about it. Christians seem to think that if you get enough people praying for something, God has to do what you want. Prayer becomes a matter of majority vote. If we get more people praying for something than those on the other side, then God will listen to our side. Well, this, my friends, is superstitious prayer. When we pray with many words, we pray like the pagans, Jesus tells us. Two, we pray superstitiously when we try to move God with special words. Not just many words, but special words. The word translated meaningless repetition means to babble. A related word was the nickname of the Greek orator Demosthenes, who was so eloquent and used such wonderful language when he spoke that they called him the gabbler. So we think that we are great prayer warriors if we fill our prayers with religious jargon or Elizabethan English, but we become nothing more than gabblers. That's how God hears us. We become nothing more than gabblers to God's ears when we use special language to sanctify our prayers. When I was in college in Center City, Philadelphia, many of us walked to the famous 10th Presbyterian Church to hear Dr. James Montgomery Boyce preach. This was a large, historic church with its great stone and brick structure and huge, majestic columns. I usually sat in the balcony, which ran completely around three sides of the sanctuary, and if you sat up near the front in the balcony, you could look down on the platform below you, and this was my favorite seat. They had a pastoral seminary intern at the time who was extremely eloquent. Unfortunately, his only opportunity to demonstrate that eloquence was in the pastoral prayer each Sunday morning. So he would pray these long, eloquent prayers. He would say things like, 
O glorious, majestic, awful, holy, and merciful creator of this earthly sphere which floats in the palpably obscure, formless obfuscation of space, you who are both transcendent and imminent, enthroned in our auriferous zodiac, we wouldst that thou wouldst help us, peons of this depraved and merciless society, to flavor our word with your condiments. We wouldst that thou wouldst help us as housewives as we go about the daily routines of our spiritual habitation to manifest the graces of Sarah to our children. And on and on his prayer went like that. One Sunday morning, I timed him, and the prayer was twenty minutes long. We Bible college students sarcastically nicknamed him our favorite access to the throne of grace. I was watching one time in my post above the platform, and I saw Dr. Boyce in the back, where no one could see him. He was writing in his sermon notes during the prayer. I'm sorry, friends, if I seem harsh, but this man was praying like a pagan. We pray superstitiously when we try to move God with many words or special words. And third, we pray superstitiously when we try to move God with repetitious words, with repetitious words. The word for babble meant foolish talk, to speak without thinking, to prattle on and on, saying the same thing over and over again, as if by repetition we establish our own right to be heard by God. My friends, prayer wheels and counting beads have no place in what Jesus calls prayer. Thomas Keating, who founded the Center for Contemplative Living, has taught what he calls centering prayer in his workshops. The idea behind centering prayer is that you pick a sacred word and repeat it over and over again every time your mind starts to wander into other thoughts. This prayer, this word, centers you and eliminates all the other thoughts. Through centering prayer, you will experience the presence of God that pushes all else away from your mind. The same idea as centering prayer, the same idea undergirds many modern worship songs where we repeat the same lines over and over again as we sing. And once again, the idea is that through repetition of words, we will eventually eliminate extraneous thoughts and truly worship God and experience his holy presence. I'm sorry if it offends you, but that is not what Jesus calls prayer. Prayer has content. Worship should engage the mind, not mindlessly parrot words. Prayer is not religious ritual, special techniques, or mindless repetition of words. Prayer is talking to God like children talk to their parents. It is real communication. It is the language of family life. We pray superstitiously whenever we try to manipulate God to use God for our purposes. 
we fall into the trap of pagan prayer when we think that if we spend more time, say more words, repeat special language, then we will reap greater blessing from God. Martin Lloyd-Jones calls this a mathematical notion of God. It's as if God responds in mathematical proportion to what we invest in the prayer. And this, my friends, is praying like the pagans, Jesus tells us. So, talk to God naturally, not superstitiously. And secondly, talk to God in faith, not fear. Talk to God in faith, not fear, verse 8. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. So do not be like them. He's talking about the pagans now. So do not be like the pagans, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Do you want to know how to pray? Just talk to God about your day. Let him know what you are thinking and feeling. Talk to God in your normal language. Don't try to put on airs with God, just be yourself. He already knows all about you, and yet he still loves you, so you have nothing to fear. He will not reject your prayers because he loves to hear you talk to him. People pray in fear all too often. In many religious circles, the fear is reinforced by church teaching, so that if I fail to say the right words at the right times in the right ways, God won't listen to me. When that happens, our prayers are motivated by fear, not faith. We pray in fear when we think we have to overcome God's ignorance. We tend to pray as if God is ignorant. We pray as if we have to educate God. We feel we need to help him understand what the problems are so that he can adjust his plans to meet our needs. We pray thinking something like this, Lord, if you only knew my situation, you would do what I want you to do. So let me help you understand the reality of what I'm facing. Let me fill you in on what is happening in my life. Well, Jesus says that we are the ones who don't understand. We are the ones who are ignorant, not God. God already knows our needs. God already knows our situations. God already knows our circumstances before we even make our requests. In fact, God knows our situation better than we understand our situation. He doesn't need our instruction at all. Now, this raises a common objection to prayer. If God already knows my needs, why do I need to pray about them? This objection reveals that we don't understand what prayer is all about. We are ignorant of what it means to pray. Prayer is relational communication. It's the normal language of family life. Prayer is much like the child who tells parents what she needs or wants. Prayer is telling God what we feel and think, not because we need to instruct him, but because we love him and he loves us. God delights to hear our conversation with him. 
and God anticipates our, our needs, much like a mother who sets out the Tylenol on the counter before going to bed, but waits for the child to cry out for it in the night. She anticipates the need of her sick child. She knows what her daughter needs before her daughter asks. This is the normal language of family life. We all go outside for a hike, and the children say, We don't need to take coats. So, we parents pack the coats in the backpack, knowing that the forecast calls for it to get colder, and they'll want their coats. When the children complain of being cold, we pull out the coats. God is omniscient, which means that he knows everything. Yet he values our relationship enough to wait for us to ask before providing what he knew we would need in the first place. This is prayer in faith, not fear. Secondly, we also pray in fear when we think we have to earn God's love, when we think we have to earn God's love. If my children only talk to me when they want something, and their words are calculated to push my buttons so that they get what they want, then we have no real relationship. It's the same with prayer. If I am afraid of God and use prayer as a way to earn his favor, then I don't understand the relationship. Prayer is not getting God to do what I want, like some sugar daddy in the sky. Prayer is telling God how I feel and what I think because I have a relationship with him. When you love someone, you share your thoughts, not because you want them to do something, but because you know they love you and care about you. If you talk with someone only when you want something, the relationship is dead. Now, there is a subtle reverse logic about prayer and spirituality. We know that the great heroes of the Christian faith all spent long hours in prayer. So, we assume that if we spend long hours in prayer, we will become men and women of God and enjoy God's blessing too. When this idea begins to shape our thinking about prayer, we kill prayer. The great man or woman of God did not punch a spiritual time clock. Men and women of God didn't pray for many hours in order to become men and women of God. They prayed for long hours because they already were men and women of God. Prayer was simply an expression of love, not a way to earn love. Prayer was the byproduct of a relationship and the way to express intimacy in that relationship. Relationships are founded not on fear, but on trust and faith. We talk together because we trust one another. We share our feelings and open ourselves up because we trust the other person to whom we are talking. Well, that's the way it is with prayer. Prayer is the language of love. It is the way we cultivate intimacy. Don't try to earn God's love by talking a long time. Just begin every day in a relationship with God 
and you will learn to pray naturally. And you will find that you're talking to God more and more as time goes on. Usually, the first thing I say when I wake up and I'm still lying in bed is something like, Good morning, Lord. It's the most natural thing in the world to start my day with God. And that is what prayer is, my friends. It is natural conversation with God. Finally, we pray in fear when we think we have to appease God's anger. We pray in fear when we think we have to appease God's anger. If our children only come to talk to us out of fear of what might happen if they don't, then our conversations will be very fearful, and our relationships will be shallow and superficial. We want our children to plop down on the couch and share their thoughts openly and in faith, not guardedly and in fear. We don't want our children to watch every word and worry about every idea which they tell us for fear we will get angry and express disapproval. If we immediately criticize or find fault with them, soon they will stop talking with us. There will be little honest communication in the family if every conversation is like walking on eggshells. And so it is with prayer. God already knows your needs. He doesn't need you to appease his anger or come to him with carefully phrased language for fear that you might offend God's holy ears. He doesn't want you to pray in fear that if you say the wrong thing the wrong way, he will reject you. God wants you to come boldly into his presence. He wants you to share openly and in confidence your thoughts with him. If you are angry, let him have the anger. Tell him. He can handle it. If you are frustrated, he understands before you even voice the frustration. So don't worry about offending God in prayer. Talk to God in faith, not fear, because he has made access available for you and me through Jesus Christ. If you have accepted Christ as your Savior, you have a relationship with God the Father. You are his child. It is a family relationship. Prayer is the language of this heavenly family. Talk to God like a child talks to his father. Now, there is one important qualifier I should mention at this point. Some of you may have had a bad relationship with your earthly father, so this message is hard to grasp, hard to take. If you had a father who abused you, then you will tend to project the feelings you had with your earthly father onto your heavenly father. If you had a father who was distant, you will tend to think of God as distant. If you had a father who was always angry, you will think of God as angry. I want to encourage you that God is not like your earthly father, and you need to slowly reprogram your mind to think of your heavenly father as different than your earthly father. And that takes time, but you will get there if you practice the principles of prayer Jesus tells us in these verses. 
Slowly, over time, you will come to have an intimate relationship with your heavenly father, despite the bad example of your earthly father. My friends, Jesus teaches us that prayer is the normal language of family life, not the language of religious ritual. God doesn't want our religious prayers with their stilted and stuffy language. Churchy and wordy prayers may impress other people, but they don't impress God. Full of ourselves, we are not talking to God but to others. And God sees through our attempts to impress him with our eloquence. God wants down-to-earth, honest-to-goodness, normal, everyday conversation with us. Theodore Seuss Geisel, better known as Dr. Seuss, gave a commencement address once that went like this. My uncle ordered popovers from the restaurant bill of fare and when they were served he regarded them with a penetrating stare. Then he spoke great words of wisdom as he sat there on that chair. To eat these things, said my uncle, you must exercise great care. You may swallow down what's solid, but you must spit out the air. And as you partake of this world's bill of fare, that's very good advice to follow. Do a lot of spitting out the hot air, and be careful what you swallow. Too much prayer is like those popovers, filled with hot air. Talk to God naturally, normally, and honestly. Don't limit prayer to religious ritual, but enjoy prayer as a part of your everyday experience with God. Brother Lawrence was a medieval monk who wrote a classic book entitled The Practice of the Presence of God. And he said in that book, The time of busyness does not differ with me from the time of prayer. And in the noise and clatter of my kitchen, while several persons are at the same time calling for different things, I possess God in as great tranquility as if I were on my knees. And my friends, so can we, when prayer is the normal language of everyday life. God is there in the hustle and bustle of your work just as much as he is there in your quiet private times of reflection. You can talk to God in the car, at your desk, in the kitchen, or on the floor of the manufacturing plant. Jesus teaches us that the secret to contentment is constant conversation with God in our everyday lives. Through prayer, you and I can experience the presence of God in every moment of our lives and experience the peace of God in every single circumstance we encounter. <laughs>